The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 192 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We really appreciate it. Before we get into this week's amazing episode, we do want to thank one of our reviewers. Uh, It's a new review on Apple Podcast, and the listener name is Krista Loves BLG. Thank you so much for your kind words and your five-star review. Krista says that the show is a light in the darkness and that our guests are uplifting and inspiring, and I could not agree more. We get such incredible guests that uh, come on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave the review. Another item of housekeeping is that this will be our last regular episode of the year. Uh, We do take a break, but there will be an episode next week. It'll be our Christmas special, and we want you to be a part of it. So uh, if you could send us something that you love about Christmas, and it could be a, a Christmas story. It could even be a funny Christmas story or something touching or something you remember, something from your childhood or from your family. You could send us what your favorite uh, Christmas hymn is or Christmas carol and why you love it. Even uh, just a a favorite memory or something you look forward to each year with Christmas. We would love to hear from you and share it. And it really can be anything Christmas related. If you could send it to us, uh, you can send it to me at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. Or send it to our Facebook page uh, or our Instagram. You can send it there as well, and uh, we will share it on our show. That will be next week, our Christmas special, and then we will be off for three weeks, getting a little bit of rest before the new year when we're, we're back on it. So again, we would love to hear your thoughts on Christmas, and really, if you have something in your heart that you want to share with our audience, we would really appreciate it. All right, to wrap things up this year, I cannot think of a more perfect guest. Graciela Moore is someone who, I'm not sure exactly how we connected, but we ended up following her on social media, and she followed us on social media, and she just posts such neat things and so positive and has so much hope. And then we found out she had a great conversion story. And uh, Skyler, our social media manager, connected us with Graciela. And who does not love a good conversion story? And Graciela was so much fun to talk to. You'll know exactly what I mean when you listen to the episode. Her spirit is so bright, and what a way to end the year. I wish that I had the, the hope and positivity. I shouldn't wish. That's my goal for next year, is to have the hope and positivity that uh, Graciela has. It's a beautiful conversion story, and Graciela is just an amazing soul. And this week in my Latter-day life, are we not all beggars? It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today here on the Latter-day Lives podcast, my guest is an ICF certified coach, with an amazing life story, an amazing conversion story, Graciela Moore, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much, Sean. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. Uh, the honor is all ours. I've been so excited to meet you. We have followed each other for a while on Instagram. And of course, we'll share all that with our audience. But first, we get to get to know you. And I don't know your whole backstory. So I am super excited. These are my favorite kind of interviews when I'm not <laughs> sure all the twists and turns. So tell us a little bit about where you're from. Okay. So I am from. Puerto Rico, and I hear you're a fan. <laughs> I love Puerto Rico. I have to tell the audience before we started talking, I confessed of my great love of Puerto Rico. What a beautiful place. Where are you so, from in Puerto Rico? I am from Ponce. So it is south of the island, one of the biggest towns um, on the island, really. Lots of pride there. Um culturally speaking and historically speaking if you're from Ponce you get a reputation in the rest of the island I don't even understand it <laughs> and so yeah and so if you live in the south the beach where you get to go to is the Caribbean right so at the if you go in the north in San Juan as a tourist those are Atlantic waters mm. no 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 you need to go to a Caribbean beach in the south or southwest or southeast of the island um, and so next time you go hit me up and I'll let you know <laughs> where you need to how, go. How long of a drive is it from San Juan to Ponce? Like an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. If you're, if you're doing the speed limit, if you're going to speed, um, <laughs> we, it could be done in 50. It's a tiny yeah. island. Yeah. It's, it's really a very small. small island. So what were you into when you were a, uh, a little girl? What were, what were your hobbies? <laughs> It's like, oh my gosh, bless her heart. My mom would set up our Barbie house and she would herself spend so much time setting it up and cleaning it up and dressing up the Barbies for us to play with. And we were never interested. Uh, really, we did not like Barbies growing up. We were we were weird <laughs> in that sense. My older sister agrees with me and I don't think my baby sister had any. At that point, we were like, we're not buying Barbies. <laughs> what for? And so we don't do Barbies in this home, you know? Um, and so what I decided to do with my Barbie house was turn it into a bookshelf and it was covered in books. And so that was me obsessed with reading and I say quotations. So everyone listening, quote unquote, reading English books, because I didn't understand the language yet. I didn't know what I was reading. Shakespeare. <laughs> In my 12 or 13 years old. I, You're reading Shakespeare with barely an understanding of English. That's right. <laughs> that was me. Um, my mom tells the story of how I spent an entire summer. And my my thing that summer was reading the Webster's Dictionary, Spanish to English Dictionary. And that's what I did. And so I was obsessed with learning the language for some reason. And, um, and really those were my hobbies. I really did have a blessed and privileged childhood. Our dad was a prominent musician. Just mm. today I was talking about his funeral and how huge an event that was. And, uh, we grew up on stage and it's like, we weren't really encouraged slash allowed to pursue any other extracurriculars we had to do music school. 
Like, (laughs) and so when I say music school, I mean, we were in a private school from eight to three. And then we went to another school where we just got taught music, choir, instruments, theory. And then we didn't get home until 6.30 p.m. So by the time I would get home in my school uniform, my friends had already napped, played, had dinner and a snack. And now I'm getting home. Wow. (laughs) And that was my childhood from eight years old to... 17 where I found myself with a car in high school. And so I played hooky from music school and enrolled myself down the street into the drama school and pursued a year of drama right before I graduated high school. (laughs) So did your, did your dad know about that? Uh, They found out like a few months afterward when the music school called my parents, like, where has she been? We haven't seen her in forever. (laughs) She hasn't attended any of her classes. Um, And so I was like, well, I'm doing this. And just so that I can stay in touch with music, I joined the choir in this Mm. other school. And so they were fine. And with that choir, we came to Orlando to the Orlando Music Fest Festival. um, And we won first prize and we took the trophy home. So I had a very... Very um, nice young adulthood. Thank you for asking. Boy, the way you describe your your teenage years just sounds wonderful. I mean, sounds like a great experience. Are you naturally musical? Like, did that come in the DNA? So our dad, I feel like the encouragement for us to go to music school and to learn to read music came from the fact that he was a prominent musician, but he only played by ear. What did your dad play primarily? Ooh, that's a good question because it's an instrument that it's only in Puerto Rico or Hispanic uh, countries. And it's called El Cuatro Puertorriqueño. El Cuatro Puertorriqueño. Okay. Yes. The Puerto Rican four, literal translation. I have never Um, heard of this. Yeah. And so I'll I'll send you, uh, we'll connect in in a back channel Mm -hmm. and I'll send you a link. It's an instrument. It's a string instrument. So picture a guitar, but much smaller. And I know it's called cuatro. I don't remember right now the history behind the name, but it has 10 strings in in pairs. So five. And so that's Mm. what you play. And I can hear it in my head right now. (laughs) And and because he was such a prominent ear musician, he could also grab a guitar. He could also grab a Mexican, uh, the big one. He could also grab another type of instrument that I can't remember right now in English. It's called Mm. in Spanish, the requinto. Um, Mm. Now, the piano, not so much, but we played percussion. So did he. He would sing. He was in singing groups as well. Um, I feel like him and my mom met in a in a school choir as well. How proud were you sitting there watching your dad perform and seeing people like really enjoying it and thinking that is my dad? It was very interesting growing up like that. Um, everywhere we went, they they knew him or they were expecting us as a family. Um, we would go out to eat every single week and it would be like a musical affair. (laughs) And that's what I mean about, you know, such a blessed childhood because I treasure those moments. And then 13 years later, my baby sister was born and we never went out again. (laughs) Blame it. Blame it on the sister. Of course. I love it. Blame it it on the toddler. It's like I'm 17 and she's four years old and it's like, oh my gosh, just kill me. (laughs) So, So, 
you end up finishing high school um, and suddenly you're an adult. What came next? A lot of anger. <laughs> so this anger. is where my story, yes, this is where my story gets interesting. And, and it started with turning, I think, between 16 and 17 years old. So in high school and my grandfather passing away mm. after 50 years of marriage. That story was amazing. I mean, I mean, my grand, he had a child out of wedlock and my grandmother took him in and raised him. And um, he told me the story himself about how he cooked her breakfast the morning after they were married. And so it's like my grandpa and my grandmother were, were huge for me growing up. And so he passed away. And her reaction to that and my conversation with her about that was the first spark to me, in me, that there was just something missing from the Catholic gospel. Mm. So I'm having that conversation and it just didn't click that you spend your whole life with someone and it just ends till death do us part. It did not make sense to me. I knew there was something there. And so I let it go. Um, I got angry at the fact that I did not appreciate my experience with graduating in a Catholic school where they forced us to partake of the sacrament mm. during the ceremony and and voiced the fact that, you know, we're doing it for appearances like everybody's going to do it. I don't. I don't want to hear it. And I did not appreciate that. And so I never went back. I mean, I never went back in the sense that I never participated. Of course, I would go back. My dad would play his instrument in church during Christmas. We would always go. We would sing. But my heart wasn't in it. It, it right. just was not connecting. Mm -hmm. And then I was angry at the fact that I really wanted to graduate high school and come to the States. And that didn't happen. And so I went to school in Puerto Rico. I was an English major, literature and film. I mean, th All that's like a no love. brainer. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Sure. No brainer there. Um, and then afterwards, I went straight to San Juan to pursue a master's in screenwriting and to work in a casino. You move up, you're working in a casino. And then where, where were you going to school to, to study these things? So I graduated from my bachelor's from the University of Puerto Rico in Mayagüez, which is at the very west of the island. Mm. And Ponce is here. So that was a two-hour drive. I went away to college. And it's like a two-hour <laughs> drive. <laughs> I love it. I found peace in that. You know, it's like, yeah. at least I'm not in my hometown. Um, and then I went all the way to San Juan to the a private university called the University of the Sacred Heart. Um, Catholic private university to do my master's. Mm. And then my job at the time, the job that I applied to, uh, which was a complete miracle that I landed it because I hated math, forever hated math. Um, during my bachelor's degree, I had to take pre-cal one like twice because I flunked it. <laughs> and so I, I really went into that job with the complete confidence that I graduated from an English degree and I'm 100% bilingual. If you, and if you need me to relate in any type of sales or job scenario with a tourist, I'm your person. And so I went into that job with that. 
and somehow by the grace of Heavenly Father just landed the math part and landed a full paid school type summer thing where they taught us how to be casino croupiers. So dealing blackjack, roulette. Yes. That's wild. Okay. Now that was wild. So yeah, wild. I'm sure you, you must much. have had some amazing experiences working at the casinos there. Um, what was your thought on the screenwriting part of things? Were, were you thinking that could be a career path? My experience with the acting school was not very pleasant. I went into the master's communicating with all of my professors that whatever assignments I turn in will be in English and my thesis will be in English as well, because I felt like if I'm not going to act, then at least I want to be behind the scenes and I'm a writer. And so let's go to screenwriting. And of course, the goal and the ideal uh, utopia that I was trying to reach was get in line in Hollywood and get your script sold. Um, once I realized how hard that was, I made my goal a little bit more realistic. And then I went with that. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, I didn't get to finish my master's. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had a car accident. Mm. And that's, I feel like now looking back at my life and my story, that's one of the catalysts that now... I feel like is one of those is one of those steps in my life that are a testimony. So she ran a red light and I was on my right way. Uh, and I didn't see her coming because I did get distracted with those little signs that have the names of the streets, mm -hmm. which are kind of small until you're kind of close to them. I didn't know I had a green light. So, you know, you look around when you're driving, you're not always like looking forward um and so I was looking to my right and she ran her red light and comes through my left and rams oh. on my brand new car that I I drove out of the lot in my 20s so how cool was that um and I lost everything I got disabled from my job I couldn't deal cards anymore my neck injury was so severe that I could no longer face the table and deal the cards. And so wow. after therapy, after acupuncture and all of these things that the government kind of like puts you through before they decide what to do with you, after all of those, I got a little money and I got disabled from my job. So where did you go from there? Ugh, back to my parents. <laughs> I like, I wish that our audience could see your face right now because it's this uh, face of disbelief. I can't believe I went back to my parents. Yes, yes. I mean, okay. So again, this is why the testimony is there that when you're not where you're supposed to be and there's potential in you, which we know that there is for everyone, um, the Lord really does shift things around. Mm. And so I feel like that car accident was just that because it brought me from San Juan where I was free and wild and I had a bachelorette pad um, and I had a full-time job with benefits, with tips, and I had 
um, freedom. And I had a brand new car that I drove yeah. off the lot. And this is like in my mid twenties. Mm. Right. And so quote unquote, I had the life. Right. However, however, I am very aware of everything that was missing and my journals prove it, <laughs> mm. you know, my writings of, of how much I hated it um, and how much I struggled personally, even though I had all those things. Wow. And so there goes my car accident. And I'm I lost my bachelorette pad because I lost my job and I couldn't keep my contract and I lost my car. And it's like now I'm injured. So I can't even really just go back into the workforce and, and get a new life. Like right away, I need to heal and wait. <laughs> and I hate waiting. <laughs> So you moved back in with your parents. What was the plan with that? I moved back in with no plan. That was, I feel like that was the lowest, right? Like I, I didn't feel like giving up yet. That came years later, but um, that was pretty low. And so it was really another miracle. There it was in the newspaper. The Dallas Independent School District is coming to Puerto Rico to interview potential bilingual teachers. And I'm like, well, I didn't go to school to be a teacher, but I am fully bilingual. And if, you, if you're going to teach me how to be a teacher, I'm the person for the job. Wow. And so I went all the way to San Juan with my little neck brace on and sat on a real interview and then a phone interview that was meant to really um, assess my English knowledge, which I scored 100%. <laughs> <And> so- <laughs> That's awesome. Right. And so I got the job and packed everything. I even arranged for a town car to pick me up at the Dallas airport and drive me to the new apartment that I managed to get approved for myself. I don't even know how I did that. (laughs) And, and I walked in and it's empty and I slept on the floor for like a week, but I was in the U S yeah, I didn't have a car until I had a heat stroke like a, like a heat wave thing. And then I am like, okay, fine. I can't be riding my bike in this weather. I need to go get a car. <laughs> and so I got my car, got my license in Texas and whatever. Um, however, the teaching thing didn't pan out for me. And I was very, I would say malnourished, but it was more about rest. Like I would be going to sleep at 2 a.m. to get up at 4.30 to go teach and I didn't know what I was doing. It, it really didn't work out for me. Um, I ended up being a fourth grade bilingual teacher of history and science and then the language arts. And it's like ugh, my my strong suit is really only the language arts part. I have no idea how to teach any of these other things. And so I would spend my night researching every day one by one oh, what I had yeah. to do. And it was so bad that I quit mm. by spring break. I mean, I was still considered an, an intern uh, because I had that summer where they taught that internship where they taught us how to teach and whatever, according to what they wanted. And then they release you into a classroom. And I feel like I don't want to, I'm not criticizing the program at all. I'm talking about me. I was not ready. Yeah. Um, I was not into it. And so 
spring break, I called and said, everything in my classroom donated to the staff and I'm not coming back. How hard was that? It was hard. It is hard. It was hard because it's embarrassing. (laughs) But at the same time, it was empowering because I just, I knew that that's what I needed. And so during my accident, one of the things that I had considered, you said, what was the plan, right? Um, After my accident, one of the things I had considered was to get my real estate license in Puerto Rico because I couldn't be a casino croupier anymore. At that point in time, I didn't want to go back to my master's. So at that point, I'm like, I just need to work at this point in my life. So let's get the real estate license. However, I ended up in Texas, which is another testimony of how this this whole thing of me being here and coming here was meant to be because I'm not even planning to move yet this job lands on my lap and I take it and I make it to Texas. And so once I quit, I'm like, okay, that sucks. That's embarrassing. Shame on me, blah, blah, blah. I'm a quitter, boo-hoo. Now, what am I going to do? I'm here. So what did you do? I got my real estate license in Florida. In Florida. Okay. So you left Dallas. You went to Florida. What city did you move to in Florida? Kissimmee. Into Kissimmee. Okay. And for our, we have listeners all around the world. Kissimmee is right next door to Orlando. The Southeast. Whole, yeah. They, they call it the Orlando Kissimmee St. Cloud area. Uh, That's right. Sort of region there. So what, what made you choose Kissimmee? Um, well, really, I didn't choose Kissimmee. That was my relationship at the time that kind of went from Puerto Rico when I moved to Texas, it was long distance. And then we decided to move together to Kissimmee. And really, I mean, he was also another great catalyst for me because while I was pursuing my real estate license, this, this partner was, you know, helping me along and supporting me. Mm. Now, what happened with that relationship, which really doesn't have anything to do with anything, (laughs) was um, just a lot of neglect and a lot of depression that I was gracious enough to notice and Mm. to draw a boundary about and to put a deadline on. And so it's like, if you're not going to get help, then this is not for me because you're kind of dragging me down and that's not who I am. And so that didn't happen. And so when my father died, just a few months after this one conversation, my partner at the time didn't show any empathy. Mm, that's and gonna be hard. yeah, it was like that depression was so so deep that me losing my father, whom he knew, whom he spent time with and shared moments with and hosted along with me, that that was just lost on him. And so I went to Puerto Rico for my dad's funeral, already knowing that I was coming back to move out and to just figure out my life without this relationship who was just not good for me at the time. And so I went home, communicated this to my mom and we made it happen. When I came back, I was, I feel like I was gone from that relationship like two weeks later, but the relationship ended months before I left. Um, You talk about what you were kind of going through, you know, and 
when I hear your story, I mean, it makes sense that, you know, you thought here, I'm going to go to school for this. And then that had a, a little bit of a twist and okay, then I'm going to go here and work into this internship. Then that had a twist, which took you back to your parents. You didn't expect, which took you to Dallas. Then the teaching thing didn't quite work. Let's move over to Kissimmee to a relationship that is not quite there. I think this, this must take its toll. Like this must be really difficult on you kind of this, mm-hmm. I'm trying to find my right place in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's hard on anyone. Yeah, it was. However, I feel like it's, it goes back to that initial feeling of worthiness, at least for me. So did you stay in Kissimmee? Well, I mean, Kissimmee is just 20 minutes away. So it is because we moved to Kissimmee that I met my now husband. And so we live here. (laughs) And it's through my now husband that I met the church, that I found the gospel. So let's hear the the whole story behind that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So I'm brand new in the real estate office. And I'm like, you know, how do I get clients? How do I do this? How do I lead generate? Right. That's what they call it. And so the broker or the boss, um, the team leader says to me, okay, why don't you look through the roster and call all of the listing agents that just put out new listings this week, let them know that you're brand new in the office, that you're a buyer's agent, because that's usually what they make you start with. You start with collect, you know, getting buyers, um, let them know that you're a brand new buyer's agent in the office and ask them if they would let you host an open house in their listing. Okay, I got the script. That's easily enough. I called around 19 names that day and only Michael replied. Hey, I have a listing and I'm thinking of doing an open house. Let's do it. A year after we host the open house, this is when my relationship is broken. My father has already passed. And he reaches out because he's going through his own 19-year relationship breaking. And so, yes. And so it really was a trauma bond that just formed in the, it, it just came together in the most inspired way. And I mean, I really say this a lot and I'm so blessed. It really feels like we saved each other because we both came from such loss and then collided. Mm. We started dating. Um, I didn't know anything still at this point about the church. Um, so was he a member of the church? He's, he's just inactive, but yes, he's, so he was, he's been he a was, member. He was not active. So when you guys started dating... He was not active, but he was a member of the church. Yes. But he didn't grow up in the church. He converted. I think he was 21. We started dating. And at this point, I don't know anything about it. I mean, I did know where where his church, what his church was. And this is what I was going to say just now. When I was in college, a friend uh, from Idaho, Jacob did hand me a book of Mormon. Mm. However, at the time with my parents supporting me financially, I didn't feel it was right for me to look into it. Um, To be honest, I did have the spark of reading it and kind of knowing that it was true. And so what would that mean for my parents who support me financially? Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I put it in the shelf 
And then a decade later, here I am dating someone from this church. So did your boyfriend at the time, did he say, I mean, did he say, hey, I'm I'm a Latter-day Saint or I'm a Mormon at the time or whatever? Did he tell you that and I'm just not active or where was he with his faith journey? Yes. Well, he was going through obviously a crisis with his own relationship, marriage dissolving and falling apart. And so it was more of a, oh yeah, we're members of that church, but, but no. (laughs) Yeah. So not much there. Okay. Right. Um, However, I did later on, right. Cause we keep dating, um, realized that he was encouraging his children at the time. And so the first time I hear from him about the doctrine itself is because I'm visiting for dinner and the kids are coming from a temple trip from a youth temple trip. Mm. And so they're coming into the house to see me about to have dinner because they just got here. And it's like a super awkward, like our dad's girlfriend is here and blah, blah, blah. And so (laughs) I'm like, you know, tell me about this trip. Tell me about the, the, the church. Right. I got it really quickly that we're not really going to talk about the temple. And so tell me about the church and, Uh, that was the first time that we talked about it. And Michael says, let's go for a walk. So we go for a walk. And this is where I hear about the doctrine of eternal families. And I'm very visual. And so Michael is telling me about the doctrine of eternal families and I'm walking down the street, but my visual mind is back in that room with my grandmother, where she's telling me that her marriage is still death do us part. And I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. I believe it. Yes. I need to know more. And so that was it for me. The way you're explaining it sounds like Michael was kind of thinking about making his way back at that time. I don't know what he was thinking and I can only speak for myself. (laughs) Right. And this is now almost six years later. Yeah. And, and that participation is still not there. However, am I very hopeful and still mm-hmm. pray prayerful about it? Oh, every sure. day. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So then at some point you had to make the next step toward the church. What was that next step? So the next step was, um, so I have tattoos. That was one of the things I wasted my money on growing up. And so, um, Michael was like, well, here's this author, Al Caraway, and somebody recommended that I read this book, but I haven't read it yet. She's, he's, he tells me I haven't read it yet, but here you can read it. And I'm like, that's so weird. Like who would recommend you to read this book? Like this book was here for me (laughs) anyway. So I read it and completely fell in love with her testimony. I mean, obviously, and with her and with her own experience and her eloquence in saying it and quickly found out that she was raised Catholic as well and and quickly just became a fan. I mean, I've been following Al Caraway for like six years and every time she messages me, it's like a fangirl moment for me. Every time she answers a question, it's like, ah. and so anyway, I read that first. And then once I was done with that, I'm like, okay, where's this book? I send someone from church over to bring me a book because I want to read it. And so he didn't participate, but he also never said, 
oh, I don't want you to get into that. Oh, I don't, you know, he's never really denied it either. And so it's, um, I had the freedom to explore and to investigate. That's really the word. Like now I use that word in all of my research. I'm investigating about hope and I'm investigating about confidence because it's true. You really have to dig deep and really make connections. And so I read the book and that was beautiful. And there were a lot of things I didn't understand, of course, um, and a lot of questions. Um, However, uh, you know, in the Catholic Church, you believe in the Holy Spirit, you believe in the Holy Ghost. We don't call it Holy Ghost at all. Nobody in the Catholic Church calls it that. I feel like that's more of a Protestant church term. Um, And so anyone who in that moment in my life said to me, oh, you pray for the spirit to testify that it's true. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's already done. I mean, it's that testimony has been there for so long that now I realize why I had to go through all of that just to make it to Florida, just to meet this man. And who knows where I'll end up, but this is where I am right now. Mm, Wonderful. So you start reading the book of Mormon. What was your, what was your takeaway from that? So my takeaway from that was definitely that I wanted to know more. Um, However, by this time, it's already been a year into our relationship and where he is in his life as a single father of five um, was not ideal. And so at this point in my investigation, I have no clue of any doctrinal specifications and so this wild caribbean girl who lived quite the life moves into this family because it was just the right thing to do i mean it was i was needed and i was in love right and so we moved in together and then months later i'm like what you you abide by something called what? <laughs> and so I find out about the law of chastity and all of these things. And it's like, by the time I really wanted to get baptized, they're like, well, I mean, you either get married or you move out. And I'm like, I just really, my leading thought was always, you're just needed here right now. Like there's no backtracking. And if you can't get married now for X, Y, and Z, moving out would be so detrimental. I mean, Mm. me moving out would have been worse. It would have just made everything worse. And so that's where I decided to pursue the personal progress as an investigator, because I had nothing else. I couldn't get baptized. And so I'm like, okay, so this is where I am in my life can't really get baptized, but I was going to church. We were, we were all going to church. Actually, I managed to get that done. Um, and to the same ward where they would go as a family, I'm telling you, this was all very local. It, it's like the, the same friends that they had are my friends now. Wow. And so it's all very raw. Yes. And so it's very um, intense And so I decided that I was going to live it through, holding on, waiting for when the time would come, 
that we would be able to to just be granted the opportunity to make it legal and get married. And then I got baptized the very next day. (laughs) Wait, you got married and then you got baptized the next day. That's right. That must have been a very memorable few days for you. That was yesterday was my one year anniversary of getting baptized. And then Sunday was my one year anniversary of getting married. We just got married last year. It was beautiful. And so now you've officially been a member of the church for a year. Tell our listeners what you were supposed to be doing tonight instead of this interview. So tonight was supposed to be my endowment ceremony. We we got married and that was I feel like the hopefully the last idealization lesson for this little girl <laughs> because because I went into that wedding and that baptism the next day hoping and dreaming and holding on to the thought that we would be sealed one year later and then just a few months later, it's like, no. And so it all crumbled. And I was very confused. And I feel like I've learned more about my husband in the past year that we've been married than in the five years we've been together. And I know that there's a purpose for that. And I hold on to the faith that tells me that there's a purpose for it. However, now I'm not getting sealed. Yeah. And I'm holding on to the blessing of getting endowed. So that was supposed to happen tonight. And I'm so blessed and happy that we're here instead, since the well, temple prep class couldn't make it happen in time. Yeah. So you still have some temple prep work to finish. And then just a few weeks. I'm wondering what the response was for the missionaries, because you were so primed for all of this. Uh, what was the missionaries response when you when you first met them? Oh, I love them. Those two missionaries that started my lessons were at my wedding and they were at my baptism. And at least one of them is coming for my endowment. I love them so much. And so this couple of girls, um, I call them my missionaries because out of 10 lessons for getting prepped for baptism, they taught me like 80% of them, like eight of them. And so, you know, then they transferred. And I lost Mm. one of them and then I lost the other, but Taylor and Jane are so precious to me. And so, you know what? I was just always, I was always honest and I've always also been in touch with our stake president who is in our ward Mm. and who gave me a blessing on my baptism day because he is from our ward and, and whom I treasure. Yes. I treasure how, how these people have been there for me and Mm. who have understood the trajectory of this conversion. And so I was just always honest, you know, give me the lessons. This is where my heart is. However, we have to wait. However, it's not the time for me, you know, um, still went to everything and still participated. I mean, participated as much as I could. I didn't get invited to give a talk until months after I got baptized. So the participation was obviously just limited. I was like the ward mascot. For five years. It's like, oh yeah, she's not a member, but she's not visiting either. She just lives here. She just loves the church. That is so, that's (laughs) such a great story. And now you're taking your experiences in life and you're using them 
to inspire other people and to help. Tell us a little bit about that. (sighs) I'm going through this amazing certification that brought up all of this, right? Uh, You know, that really prompted me to do the work. You can only help people when you've helped yourself, right? And so I did all of my homework and took it very seriously. Um, And really this certification came after much prayer and pondering about what to do next, um, whether to finish my master's. Um, Again, pondering just where to go in life and what to do Um, how to understand my stepkids. So they're all teenagers. And so I was pondering that uh, if you do the math, I was a stepmother before I was a mother. And that was another great lesson for me. Um, And so I pursue the certification and again, turned to the spirit and again, turned to prayer because at this point, I could focus my content, my efforts, my coaching in members of the church. However, non-participant members are so close to me. My own side of the family, I'm the only member. My friends, a whole lifetime of friends from all over, from all religions. You know, I've been on Instagram for nine years. I have followers from everywhere. And so I'm here sitting down thinking, I really want to just follow your lead and, and do what I am meant to do. And how can, and so my question was, how can I teach this gospel? How can I speak this gospel in a language that anyone can understand? Mm-hmm. And so in comes the inspiration of targeting highly sensitive people. Well, I'm highly sensitive. So I focused on that Mm. as a niche and then creating the hope series has been magnificent. And that really just came from me getting a call on July 4th, the call I was waiting for to say, Sister Moore, we want you to talk and we want you to talk about hope in Christ. And then it was revelation after revelation. You can't just leave it on a little talk, 15 minutes talking about hope in Christ. I created this whole series on hope. And so that's been amazing. And if people want to check this all out, what's the best way for them to find you? (sighs) So the best place to find me, because you'll see me there often, (laughs) is on Instagram. Um, songofmyself.ig. And so you can register for the hope series. The confidence series was requested by a few of my followers. And so that's launching in December and it's just been amazing. How much uh, satisfaction do you get out of coaching people? (laughs) I mean, it's, um, I get to talk about hope all day, Mm. every day hope comes into the conversation. Um, I'm being introduced in conversations as the hope expert. And I'm like, I'll praise to him because he's the one, you know, Um, it's like, thank you. You know, like, thank you for, for listening to this message. This is me magnifying a calling. This is me putting out 
so much effort into bringing the light of Christ to others who may not identify it as that. They just tell me, Graciela, you're such a light. And in my head, I'm like, it's the light of Christ. I'm just sharing it with you. And the fact that this is my life now, and it's just been wonderful. And to be honest, I couldn't have done it without the support of a loving husband who has encouraged my progression. Wonderful. In a respectful way, you know, like I'm, I still come home from church on Sunday and he still asks how was church. And so I treasure that. I really do. Oh, that's beautiful. I get the feeling that you have the ability to reach people um, inside the church and out in maybe a way that uh, some other church members can't because mm-hmm. they don't have the same shared experience that you have. I, I, I know there are probably people with whom you could connect that I couldn't and what a blessing that is. And I, I think you're going to, you're going to bring a lot of people, a lot of hope and a lot of peace, a lot of joy. This was wonderful getting to know you, Graciela. Uh, again, song of myself, uh, .ig, dot IG is the Instagram. That's where you can find her. And Graciela, thank you so much for, for taking this time tonight. We're going to wrap things up with the question that we ask all of our guests. And that is, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Mm. So I'm going to go back to that post I shared on Instagram because it's it's so pertinent to where I am in my life now with like the endowment that was supposed to happen. Being a member of the church means that I get to go to the temple and I get to enjoy of the blessings that only going to the temple bring. And so I got baptized last year, but because of COVID, I couldn't go to the temple until just a few weeks ago. And that was everything and more that I hoped it would be. And so tonight I'm not there, but, you know, we're in there in our hearts and it's just so wonderful. And that's really what it means. It means that I get to have a family wherever and that someday I'll have my own eternal family. I mean, my priesthood blessing says so. So I'm just going to believe it. (laughs) Awesome. She is a beautiful convert to the church, a wife, a mother, a stepmother, a coach, and bringing so much hope to so many through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Graciela Moore, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm so happy. Thanks so much. And my special thanks to my guest, Graciela Moore. Uh, Isn't she just amazing? I so thoroughly enjoyed sitting down with Graciela. She just cracked me up with her energy and her strength. And then I was really touched by her conversion and by her beautiful spirit. She was put here on earth to do amazing things. And again, I just thought it was the perfect way to wrap up our year. Thank you, Graciela. This week in my Latter-day life, um, I had an interesting experience. I've been in Southern California. I've actually been here uh, for about eight or nine days. It's a long trip uh, doing business, and uh, I was out here with my kids at Disneyland for a couple of days. And on Saturday, I had a steak cooking competition in Anaheim, California, up in Orange County near Disneyland. In fact, And I was staying down in San Diego, so I had to drive about an hour and a half up 
and it took me a long time to load the truck and I was just kind of running late and I was going to be cooking on some new equipment. So I was really kind of nervous about it. And I went up to a Walmart neighborhood grocery store. I don't know what they're called. They're the smaller Walmart market style just to get a couple of last minute things. You know, when I compete in steaks, we always have to go buy butter and uh, buy bags of ice and just some other things that are last minute. And I ran in and this particular Walmart, it just took me forever to find everything. And I had one of those wonky shopping carts that was kind of bouncing all over and I just couldn't find stuff and I was really running late and I needed to make sure I got there before their cutoff for their cooks meeting. If you're there late, you, you miss out and you can't compete. So I was really scrambling and uh, finally it turned out they didn't have a couple of the things I needed and I was so frustrated. I got out to the car and I raced over to another grocery store where I knew they would have these things and I, I was so kicking myself. Why did I not just go to that other store first. And as I pulled up and parked, uh, there was a man who was standing there uh, in front of my car. And I parked kind of far away because there just wasn't a lot of parking. And and as I walked by, the man said, excuse me, do you have any money? Uh, I could really use something to eat. And the man looked homeless and uh, looked like he was really struggling. And I was out of time. I was so busy, I couldn't stop for this guy. And I said, I'm, I'm really sorry, I, I don't have anything for you. And I knew that all I had was larger bills, and I wasn't going to get out my wallet right there uh, in that neighborhood and not sure kind of of my surroundings. And I wished him well, and I kept walking, and he was very nice. He said, okay, thank you. And, and I ran into the grocery store hyper-focused on what I was doing. And I've made it somewhat of a habit in my life where when I see people and I'm unable to help them in the moment, that I say a quick prayer for them. And as I was running into the store, I did that. I prayed for this man and ran inside and was kind of frantic, grabbing things that I needed for this competition. And then I hurried and ran over to the checkout area when all of a sudden it dawned on me that I am in a grocery store. (laughs) checking out with a whole bunch of food things. And I was going to go back and walk by this man who was hungry. And what was I doing? My favorite scripture in all of the scriptures is, are we not all beggars? Do we not all rely on that same God? And I realized that I am a beggar. And so many times I have begged and I have relied on God. And hear what a hypocrite I was as I prayed, walking into the store, that Heavenly Father would bless this man. I was the blessing for this man. I was put there for him. And as late as I was, I ran back over to the deli section and found a big thing of uh, roasted chicken and grabbed it and threw it in my cart and went and checked out. And as I ran to my car, I mean, I was moving fast. And I handed him the chicken and said, here, I bought this for you and handed it to him. And the look on this man's face, so grateful. And it just pierced my soul. And I knew he was really hungry. I was so touched that he was genuinely a hungry man. And I almost just left him standing there. It's not enough for us just to pray. Are we not all beggars? 
Do we not all rely on that same God? And do we not? does God not rely on all of us to bless each other's lives? And it took me an extra few seconds and 10 bucks worth of chicken to really be a blessing. I can be a real hypocrite sometimes when I miss out on opportunities like this one. And here we are celebrating the Christmas season. And here I was going to a competition where we were going to cook $50 steaks. And I couldn't take just a minute or two to bless someone else's lives with a little bit of chicken. I need to be better. I I preach Christianity. I preach that I am a Christian. I I very proudly say I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But all too often, I don't do what Christ would do. When I was growing up, my mom used to say, sometimes we get so busy being Mormon that we forget to be Christian. And I think that that applies with our uh, name change as of recent, that we get so busy being Latter-day Saints that we forget to be Christians. And I'm going to do better. It's one of the things I'm working on. But I was so grateful that the Spirit touched me and gave me a second chance to get it right for this brother of mine who was hungry. And that, to me, is the meaning of Christmas. It's the meaning of Christianity that we should be living all year round. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And thank you so much for tuning in all year. It's been an incredible year. And we're so grateful for all of you as our listeners. Uh, Thankful for all of you who make comments and have shared the show It's just a huge blessing for us. Uh, Once again, we just want to remind you, please be a part of our Christmas episode. We'd love to get a message from you. And again, it really could be anything. If you want to share with us your favorite Christmas hymn, Christmas story, uh, maybe something from a general authority, an experience you had as a kid, a favorite memory, something you look forward to, whatever it is that makes you feel good about Christmas, please send it to us. Send it as a message on Facebook, send it to our Instagram, or uh, just send me an email, sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. If you know someone who would be an awesome guest for our show, we're already lining things up for next year. Our producer, Gene, does such a fantastic job. Please send us uh, any recommendations, especially if you have their contact info. That's super helpful. Send that to guest at latterdaylives.com. And if you have great content for our social media, please send it over to Skylar, who's our amazing uh, social media manager. Skylar does such an awesome job. You can send it to social at latterdaylives.com. The Latter-day Lives podcast was produced by Gene Chittister, social media by Skylar Fleming. I've been your host, Sean Rapier, and I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.